Hello and welcome to Such Sights to See, the podcast about my journey through the world of cinema. I'm your host, Patrick, and you can follow along with my movie watching on my Letterboxd account. I'm on there as Long Monkey. That's all one word. And you can find my writing and other projects at my website, proleary.com. That's proleary.com. So this week, it's just me, but I have a bunch of exciting movies to talk about, some of which are part of a fun little dive I did into a small segment of cinema. But uh, I'll get to that later. In the meantime, let's just uh, jump into it. So, first movie I'm going to talk about today is Orlando from 1992, directed by Sally Potter. I'm a big fan of Sally Potter's Yes, but that's all I've seen from her in the past. And I'm a big fan of Tilda Swinton, as I think most people are. So this is an interesting uh, combination that I was eager to see, and I'm very glad I did. Orlando is about um, this young nobleman, a male, who through some magical means becomes immortal and eventually changes into female. And we get to see the history of Victorian England, um, earlier points of England and later points of England as, as time goes by, all seen through the eyes of this young man. And it's really, it's got a really sumptuous uh, production design. There's a lot of beautiful costumes, a lot of beautiful scenery. It's very languid and very low stakes. It feels kind of low stakes because Orlando is just kind of meandering through life, not sure uh, what he, she wants to do or wants to achieve. And it's about this person finding themselves, but also it's about just the how times are changing and how this person experiences the changing times. And it really is really interesting. It comes full circle at the end. And I really love this one. That's Orlando, Sally Potter. Next movie I'm going to talk about is Code 46. Code 46, 2003, directed by Michael Winterbottom. Michael Winterbottom has had a very interesting career, but a lot of his movies I am not a huge fan of. Let's see, he... He did um, 24-Hour Party People, which I did enjoy. But the, the the new Trip movies, Trip to Italy, The Trip, Trip to Spain, those movies with Steve Coogan and Rob, uh, what's his name? Rob Bryden, where they just kind of eat food and have funny conversations. They're just so twee. <laughs> I'm reminded of when Stephen King uh, had a quote about the book Vox. He said it's a insignificant little fingernail clipping. And that's kind of what I feel about those trip movies. Yeah, they're just, they're not, not for me. Uh, so um, I did at one time like the uh, cock, a cock and Bull story, Tristram Shandy movie. But when I went back and rewatched it about a year ago, I was not a huge fan. I think uh, Michael Wittrenbottom has some promise. And he shows it in this movie, Code 46. Um, it's Tim Robbins and Samantha Morton in this near future world that is kind of ruled by bureaucracy. And Tim Robbins is this guy who he's like a corporate consultant who is hired to figure out things that might be going wrong at in certain places. And this company has had a theft of ID cards that are used to travel between countries 
And that's kind of the whole, the whole world is so bureaucratic that only certain people are allowed in certain places. And there's vague discussion of, of uh, organization or, a, or an entity that makes these decisions as to who is allowed in what section. And these cards are very sought after. And they were being stolen. And Tim Robbins goes to investigate and kind of falls in love with Samantha Morton's character in this really, beautifully told opening but that's the problem the movie has a great 37 minutes at the beginning where this this tight little uh love lost story is told and unfortunately after that the movie continues for another hour and there's other things that happen and other plot points that come up and it and it expands the world and expands the characters, but I think it's all to the detriment of that very simple and beautiful story that happened at the beginning of the movie. And it actually has like a great ending scene, like, you know, 37 minutes in that I would have loved to have just, uh, you know, I would have been happy with that. But unfortunately the movie continues. It does have some really great feature stuff where the feature is not very sci-fi. It's just kind of a natural extension of our world and where it's headed. And I really like that part of it. Good world design, but overall, it's just an average movie. Good performances. It's good to see Tim Robbins again, but I was not a huge fan of it. Code 46. Next on my list is a classic that I know I loved, and I just want to rewatch it again. From 1997 by Paul Thomas Anderson, Boogie Nights. Boogie Nights, I'm sure most of you know, is uh, the story of... Dirk Diggler, a porn star in the heyday of pornography back in the 70s, and the people around him that form sort of a, a family unit. You got Burt Reynolds and Julianne Moore, and a bunch of other people who are surrogates for you know the the actual family that he is lacking and uh, it shows the rise and the fall and the rise again of all these characters and as a, as industry changes from film to video and everyone has to kind of uh, deal with the ramifications of that in the changing world it's a really great backdrop really great characters and dialogue and it's just it's just a great movie the only real problem i have with with this is that pt anderson is so young, which is amazing that he made this in the first place, but he's so young and ambitious that he, the film feels very show-offy and a little too optimistic at points for, for my tastes. I think that he needs, he needed to be reined in a little bit with, uh, you see, it feels like he knows how great he is and he's showing off these great camera moves and these great scenes and, it just, it's a little immature. And that's not a big knock. I still rated this four and a half out of five stars. I just think that he, this is a guy that needed to mature. And I'm really glad he did because it gave us There Will Be Blood, which is an absolute masterpiece by him. So, but if you haven't seen Boogie Nights, definitely check it out. Boogie Nights, P.T. Anderson, 1997. Highly, highly recommended. Next movie is a new one, another big, overindulgent, giant movie. This one from 2020, directed by Christopher Nolan, Tenet. 
So tenant, um, I won't go into a plot because let's just say it's one of those standard Nolan, um, high concept movies. This one is very much in the sort of, uh, action spy genre, tinges of sci-fi and technology, uh, big technology ideas. I liked it a lot in a way. So it's the most Christopher Nolan-y movie I think I've ever seen. It takes kind of what Christopher Nolan is known for and amps it up or deconstructs it. So you got these big epic set pieces. You got these big high concept ideas and you have no character, no uh, motivations to hold it all together. It's as if the script is just going through the motions of being like, okay, here's a great idea. Let's make a cool set piece with it. Boom, boom, boom. Let's move it along to another interesting idea, make a big set piece out of it. And then they just kind of stack onto one another, and a lot of them are excellent. A lot of them are... A lot of them are just like... Um, lost because we have no motivations for what the characters are doing or why they're doing it. Or A lot of people talk about this movie and how confusing it was, and I think it's less about how confusing it was that's the problem, but more about that we have nothing else to like about the movie besides the mechanics of it. And if the mechanics aren't working, like the set piece doesn't have the right stakes involved because we don't know what's going on, that's a fault of the movie, not of the viewer. And I think that you could have such a complicated plot if you could give us something to latch on to, some sort of character that we would want to follow through the story, something that would ground us in a real human emotion. But none of these characters have that. Yes, uh, John David Washington and Robert Pattinson are very charismatic, but they're, they are one note characters all the way through. And Ugh, it's there's a really great movie in there somewhere as it stands this was just a really fun movie to watch because of the inventive action sequences and the really interesting ideas but overall you can do better with uh christopher nolan and with other movies but still liked it still recommend it uh next movie i'm going to talk about from 1996 was recommended by a previous guest of the podcast my good friend Eric recommended this holiday classic, Jingle All the Way, directed by Brian Levant, starring everyone's favorite <clears throat> muscle-bound action hero, Arnold Schwarzenegger, Sinbad as well, and R.I.P. Phil Hartman. We lost him too soon. This is the story of a overworked, overworked salesman who never, ever keeps a promise to his son. His son, by the way is played by um, Jake Lloyd from Star Wars Episode 1, 2, and 3. And um, I'm sorry, his son is played by Jake Lloyd from Star Wars Episode 1. And it's so cliche, but so enjoyable. The cliche is that Arnold cannot always makes these promises to his son and, and it just never falls through 
and he makes the one big promise of getting him a Turbo Man action figure for Christmas, and it just happens to be the toy that is sold out everywhere. And the whole movie is just him trying to get it, and Sinbad also trying to get it, and they're bumping into each other and causing mayhem and having all these crazy action sequences. And it's a lot of fun, and you know exactly where it's going the whole time. And that doesn't make it bad, just makes it uh, entertaining. The execution is is uh, not great. The effects kind of uh, lag at the end. But there's something so charming about a 90s Schwarzenegger movie that makes it really, I don't know, it's just very comforting. So you could do much worse than Jingle All the Way. You can do much better. But if you think you're going to want to watch an Arnold movie, uh, family-friendly Arnold movie about Christmas, then yeah, you're going to enjoy it. So strap in. <laughs> that was Jingle All the Way. After that, I watched a movie from 2016 directed by Kelly Fremen Craig, The Edge of Seventeen, starring Haley Steinfeld. And this is a movie of a high school girl who's kind of had a you know a bit of troubles in her in her life her father died early and um she has no friends and her mom's a little spacey and her brother's just too perfect and she has a she has one best friend and her best friend just happens to uh fall for uh Haley's brother and they get together and that causes really uh bad consequences for this young girl now what I like about this movie is that Haley Steinfeld's character is so not a great person. <laughs> and I see a lot of myself in her, even though she's a 17-year-old girl and I am a 40-year-old man. It is There's something very true about her character, and that was refreshing. Also, she goes through a lot in this movie, and whatever changes may or may not happen to her during the course of the movie, they feel... It feels earned. I think the script is smart. The characters are real. And it is low stakes in real life, but very high stakes for the characters. And that's that's just nice to see. It just feels very realistic. Also, there is a wonderful, wonderful scene-stealing turn by Woody Harrelson as her favorite teacher. And he's just great. Great character, great dialogue, and he plays it well. So, yeah, this is one of the, the good ones. Uh, people compare it to Booksmart a lot. I think Booksmart is better and has much, much better uh, visual style. This is uh, this is really solid movie, though. Edge of 17. Check it out. The last movie I'm going to talk about today before I get into the little dive of the week is another Christmas classic. This one, one of the best Christmas movies ever made. From 2019, Klaus by Sergio Pablos. If you're going to watch one Christmas movie, just watch Klaus. This animated film is beautiful and heartwarming and just so, so much fun. It's about um, a character named Jesper who, in this old German era, is a son of the postmaster and is sort of a layabout sort of a uh this person who just um 
entitled to get whatever he wants. And his father is just trying to like make him work and do something with his life, but he refuses and always messes things up on, pers- on purpose because he doesn't care about anything. He just wants to get back to his cushy life. And as a last-ditch effort, his father sends him way up north to the small town Smearsburg to start a post office there. And if he can start, if he can successfully get it started and collect six thousand letters, then he can come home back to his life of luxury. But if not, he has to stay there or be cut off from his uh, family's fortune forever. And up in this weird town, which I don't want to spoil much, let's just say that it's a very much a more heartwarming version of a Tim Burton movie when he's there. And there's a lot of cool characters and, and really strange, horrific things in this town. Uh, except for the, the, uh, the, the lone woodsman who lives way up in north in a small cabin and he looks vaguely like Santa Claus. And, you know, I, I won't go into what this movie is actually about, but when the two characters meet and where it goes from there, it was just wonderful. I will admit that I cried multiple, multiple times during this, and it's not the first time I've seen it. So I highly, highly recommend Klaus by Sergio Pablos. Well, enough Christmas cheer. Let's talk about a, another topic. This one is also German, but a famous German director who is known for being anything but cheerful. That is Werner Herzog. I watched two Werner Herzog documentaries and I wanted to group them together and talk about them because Werner Herzog is a very interesting character. Lately, his new documentaries and films, he's kind of grown into this caricature of himself and really leans into being this like profound and uh, depressing uh, narrator in his movies. But he wasn't always like that. So the first movie I'm going to talk about is Lessons of Darkness from 1992. So this is before he kind of became the modern Herzog that we all know and love. Lessons of Darkness is a short documentary and ostensibly it's about the Kuwaiti oil fires that happened after the war. I remember that when I was a child. I remember seeing the footage and hearing the stories about how these fires were going for, for weeks and weeks and weeks. And this is not really a true documentary. Of course, it's classified as a documentary, but that's why the two movies I'm talking about today are very interesting. Herzog has a relationship with the truth that is tense, to say the least. least. I think that... Okay, so let me just explain it. It's narrated by Herzog as an alien coming to Earth and viewing these images and events uh, from whatever their perspective is. And they do not, the, because it's, it's structured like that, there's no facts that are given about what's happening. The narration is completely fabricated and made up. Look, we're talking about an alien here who's seeing things about humanity. In fact, there's things that happen on screen that the area that, that is narrated 
in completely fictional context that is not what's actually happening in real life. So it's, I'm hesitant, hesitant to even call this a documentary. It's 50 minutes of beautifully composed images and sparse dialogue and a couple talking heads of uh, Kuwaiti people who are dubbed and I have no trust that what they're saying is actually what they said. I think that there's a great chance that Herzog wrote new dialogue for them. But whatever the case, all these images and all these talking heads and all these sound bites and all these things combine to reveal a like a different truth, so to speak. So one of my favorite authors of all time, Tom Spambauer, one of his lines is, Fiction is the lie that tells the truth. And that's exactly how I feel about Lessons of Darkness. It's a lie. What Herzog is saying and uh, what he's portraying in the context he's portraying it is not real. But it tells the truth about what we are doing to our planet, what war has done to humans, what is going to be left of the planet if aliens ever come visit us in the future. And it's sad and depressing to see that the world was like this and is like this. And I think that's Herzog's point. I think that he just found a really unique way to present it without talking about facts. There's no, there's nothing you're going to learn from this uh, about how these fires started how they were being put out, like what is happening in that area of the world or what did happen. and But you are going to learn just how it feels to witness these things and the extent of the magnitude of what was going on there. So, yeah, I really liked Lessons of Darkness. And it, it goes to show that Herzog has a a knack for finding interesting things in places that most people wouldn't even think about. I think if we gave anyone else a camera, they would make like a stock documentary about what was happening there. There would be experts talking. There'd be a lot more narration and dialogue and a lot more research done. And I think it probably wouldn't have been a, a better movie. I think this is the a much more interesting way of showing this and getting a point across. So the I watched another Herzog documentary that is very similar. It is Fata Morgana from 1971. So when where Lessons of Darkness seem groundbreaking, it's almost uh, you have to go back you know 21 years to uh, Fata Morgana to see where Herzog kind of got these ideas. So. Fata Morgana is even less um, factual than Lessons of Darkness. Uh, I don't even under, know what it's about. There's a lot more narration in it. And you know, I'm just going to read the letterboxed description because even then you're not going to know what it's about. Shot under extreme conditions and inspired by Mayan creation theory, the film contemplates the illusion of reality and the possibility of capturing for the camera something which is not there. It is about the mirages of nature and the nature of mirage. So Fata Morgana translates as mirage. Uh, 
And it is a film that shows images of the desert from bare bones of just the desert itself and expanding out and out and out till we see um, animal bones, decaying animals and living animals and then humans and then small villages and then even like a, a, uh, like a small town that's on the edge of the desert and all while the various narrators talk about various biblical and I guess Mayan uh, theories of how the world came to be. You know, I'm no expert on that and the film did not enlighten me in any way but the images are again very beautiful and very they kind of hit you in this uh, liminal zone of, of where you can't really they affect you in a way that you can't quite articulate as you can see I'm having trouble doing right now <laughs> Um, but all in all, it was very interesting and ends, it kind of builds up towards this musical performance of some locals in this oh, out of the way, uh, I guess must've been some, some hall of some sort for the town. And there are a lot of people shown in this movie that, the camera just lingers on them and lets them do whatever they want and uncomfortably long time sometimes that we're watching these people. And I guess that's in a way gets the truth of what these people are because at some point, I guess not giving any direction, people just start acting and doing whatever they feel like, which is, you know, it's strange and it's interesting. And I think this is probably the point where Herzog realized that he could find interesting things happening in the world uh, in ways that people quite weren't expecting. Overall, as a movie, though, you know, where Lessons of Darkness was under was about 50 minutes long. This one's 80 minutes long, and it does overstay its welcome for me. I think it's a great experiment. It's probably a lot more fun to read about and write about than it is to watch. And I do recommend watching both of these movies, especially Lessons of Darkness, but Fata Morgana is more of a of an intriguing, um, just like an, an artistic, cultural oddity in a way. So yeah, that's my, uh, my little dive into weird Werner Herzog documentaries. So I don't, I don't want to wrap up without giving you an uncommon film recommendation. And since I talked a bit about some weird documentaries... This week, my recommendation is going to be The Wild and Wonderful Whites of West Virginia by Julian Nitzberg in 2009. It's a documentary focusing on the various drugged out and crazy members of a poor Appalachian family. It's fast and it's out there and it's very sensational in a way that makes you believe that they're kind of stretching the truth with these fantastic events that they are presenting. But whatever the case, it's an experience. It is uh, a look at the other side. And it is just, yeah, it's something to see for sure. Uh, I don't know, again, how accurate it is. I think that they probably cherry-picked a lot of the footage to make this feel a lot more sensational than the, the lives of these people actually are. But 
Wow, it's it's quite a trip. So check it out. That is The Wild and Wonderful Whites of West Virginia by Julian Nitzberg. So that's it for today, folks. Again, I'm Long Monkey on Letterboxd. That's all one word. And you can find my writing and other projects on PROleary.com. Thanks for listening. Good night and sweet dreams. <laughs>